that any kind of writing involved. Otherwise, Jesus walked. And I shared about the fact that uh, Jesus, con- conservative estimates are that Jesus, during his ministry, walked over 3,000 miles. So 1,000 miles a year, give or take. During his life, it's estimated that he walked over 20,000 miles. 20,000 miles. And he didn't even need like a Fitbit or anything to keep track of it, right? Because just everyone walked everywhere they went. John 21, 25 John writes this, Jesus did many other things as well, and if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that would be written. And so there was a lot of ministry that happened along the way, so much so that it's not all captured in the Gospels. It's not exhaustive. These were just the kind of the high points, and of course, that's why uh, some of the gospel writers focus on certain, uh, certain miracles and certain encounters, and, and others don't. And part of that is the way they're wired, their personalities, certain things stuck out to each one of them, and, and they chose to include it in their writings. But John here makes that statement. There was so much more that happened, and I kind of wonder, what happened? What were those encounters? What happened along the way? And as they walked with him and as they laughed with him and they sat around campfires and sat in people's homes and had conversation and built relationship, Jesus invested in their lives. And so even as I prayed this morning, it's not so much about the destination, though Paul tells us we we run in such a way to get the prize, we want to keep the end in mind, we want to keep focused on where we're headed, but we don't want to also miss out on what God is doing along the way. See, the impact of Jesus' life was not just in what he said. And he preached amazing sermons, right? And it's not just in the miracles he performed, and he performed amazing miracles. The impact of Jesus' life was how he interacted with people, that his heart was towards people, that he brought people close, even when the children come to Jesus and the disciples, right, they're, they're being good ushers. No, 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 right? Children should be seen and not heard. Go to the back of the room. Not our ushers. You guys are amazing. But I've heard, right, in other places. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Let the kids come to me. I, I love them as much as I do you. In fact, they, they kind of have an understanding of the kingdom of God that you don't. Because there's just not all the filters and the stuff and the, and, the, and the backstory. And so there's just a purity. Let them come to me. And so Jesus engaged with people. And it's interesting. You, you know this. You can learn a lot about people by just watching the way they interact with other people. Right? You, you can tell what kind of day someone's having based on how they interact with other people. I went to Costco a couple of days ago. And... Uh, and it was a zoo. It was, it was nuts. You know, you know those days you go in and you realize, I'm going to be in line as long as I was in the store, right? So I better make the rounds for all of the samples because I need energy. Um, and and <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? And then you're like trying to decide which is the one you go back to. And mm-hmm, yeah, I'm not alone in that. But just standing in line waiting to check out, and you can just watch certain people, there's just peace, and others are aggravated and frustrated, and you just kind of wonder, well, what's going on in their life? Is, are they just having a bad day, or has it been a bad decade? 
right? And you can just, and just the way that people talk to each other and treat each other. We were down at uh, Angeles Temple yesterday for the Life Pacific College commencement, and afterwards we're across the street in Echo Park just mingling with all the graduates, and someone got upset about someone cutting them off on the street and then proceeded to honk at them as they drove up past Glendale Boulevard, past Angeles Temple, around the corner and around the park, and just stayed on the horn the whole time. Just kept going and going to the point that people are just turning around. And you're going, okay, we just learned a little bit about that person. We didn't even meet them. You can learn a lot about people by watching their lives, especially when it comes to those who are closest I remember when we, Megan and I were on staff at Florence Avenue Foursquare Church, there was a couple who were part of that congregation named Leo and Levita. Leo and Levita, they were, at that point, that was 18 years ago, and they were already probably in their late 80s at that point. And uh, they were one of those couples. One of those couples had just been married for years and years and years, and everywhere they went, they held hands, and they, and they just... They were so kind and gracious to each other, and Levita was, was struggling with some health issues. And so Leo just, and he was just this feisty, iron grip of a, a handshake man. He wasn't very tall, not large in stature, but just kind of wiry. Every time I would walk past him, he'd like pinch me and just kind of, just a fun man. But, but when it came to his wife, there was this tenderness and this care and this compassion and you just saw it just pouring out of him. And even after she had passed away years later, the way that he would talk about his wife, it was still there. And you learn so much by just watching that. I, I just remember thinking, God, I want to be that way with Megan when we get to that age. I, I want to have that kind of posturing towards my wife. And so you learn things as you watch the lives of people. Well, I want to bring us to a story in John chapter 2. It's the account of the, the, the miracle at the wedding in Cana. And we're going to talk about Jesus and, his, and this encounter with his mom, with Mary. We're going to learn some things and unpack some things about the way that Jesus interacts with his mom and the way that Mary interacts with Jesus in, in this particular circumstance. So let's read this out of John chapter 2. Uh, 2 verse 1 through 12 says this on the third day a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee and Jesus's mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding when the wine was gone Jesus's mother said to him they have no more wine woman why do we involve me now let me just stop right do you see your cultural bias already? <laughs> Woman. Back at Florence Avenue, Pastor Paul Risser, when I was on staff with him, who just recently, he went, recently went to be with the Lord, um, his wife Mary Lee is one of the sweetest, most godly women I've ever met, and he would, he would always say, I would say to Mary Lee, Woman. And, <laughs> and everyone in the church knew, yeah, you might say that, but we know how it really goes in your house. Jesus saying to his mother, woman, was not a, it wasn't a disrespectful thing, right? We overlay our culture and we're like, oh, and he called his mom woman. Um, there's actually a lot of honor in that. 
In, in fact, it said when he's on the cross, he addresses Mary and John, and he says, woman, behold your son. And so it's funny, though, that we would, when we read that, our minds go a certain place. So I want to just bring us back, all right? Jesus is honoring his mom in this moment. All right, let's keep going. Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, and each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So they're large, large jars. And Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water, tasted that the water had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then cheaper wine as the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best for last, or best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first sign, first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. The first miracle of Jesus took place here in Cana, and it's so appropriate that his mom was involved. Not just appropriate for today because it's Mother's Day, but because of the touch of God on Mary's life. All right, I want to give us a little overview as we've been doing these past few weeks, give you a sense of where we're at. So we're going to bring up, again, the map of Israel. And uh, we'll do it on these. Can we get it on this side there as well? All right. So you can tell this is the, the larger view. We're up in the northern part of the country in Galilee, uh, Jerusalem, uh, is is kind of down in the southern part, right right on the bottom of the screen there, right above where it says Judea. So we're in the top part. So if we come over here, this is this is kind of where we're zoomed in. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and what preceded what's happening here in Cana is Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River, which would have taken place down in this region somewhere. Um, there's two places where they believe Jesus could have been baptized, either right here at the mouth. Uh, where the, the, the Sea of Galilee, uh, the outlet rather for the Sea of Galilee is to the Jordan River. And then there's a place down further down where the Jordan makes kind of an S-bend and the water slows down. And they, they figure it's the only other place where it's, it's possible that Jesus, uh, they, they could have done a baptism. He would have traveled then up from there and he would have been up here in the, in the area of um, Capernaum. And then he moves we, because we know that because he's calling the disciples uh, what happens right after that is Jesus starts calling Peter and John and Andrew and all of these disciples to follow, and then they end up back down over here in Cana, which is real close to Nazareth, which is significant because uh, the invitation is extended to Jesus and the disciples to come to this wedding. See, weddings in Israel uh, at that time and even today are a really big deal, and weddings are a big deal for us. We go and spend a few hours at a wedding. In Israel, it's a week-long affair. It's a big party, right? And so you go to work during the day, and then at night, we're, hey, we're going to go back and party some more, and we're going to have a good time, which is important to note because the, the wine ran out. And so this, this party's been going for a little while. Jesus is invited. The disciples are invited. And, and it seems like Mary had some kind of official role at the wedding. Um, it wouldn't have been her place otherwise to speak up and, and address the fact that they'd run out of wine. 
And so we don't know, I don't know if Mary was a wedding planner, is that kind of her, her side job, or if she was just in, maybe connected to, to the family. But for some reason, uh, Mary has the place and the authority where she can address what's happening here uh, in this moment. So they're in that region, all of the community would have come out, there's a lot of people there, um, tons of celebration. And then, of course, we come to this point where the wine runs out, which is a huge embarrassment, huge embarrassment for those who are hosting the wedding. You just, that, that was never done. That's not something that would ever happen. It, it showed poor planning. Something fell through the cracks. And so, the, the, you know, we read it, oh, they ran out of wine, you know, but, but you understand there's no way to just go, you know, run to the store and just go buy some more because this is a big party. And so Jesus, of course, has this encounter with Mary. <laughs> Jesus says to him, Jesus, they have no more wine. Kind of what Jesus is saying is, hey, what do you want me to do about this? We don't know too much about, right? But you, you understand that, that communication isn't just verbal, right? It's Right, We have facial expressions, there's body language. We're not privy to that. We don't know how this whole encounter goes down. But for some reason, Mary decides, I need to bring this to Jesus. Jesus, there's no more wine. It could have been, and some scholars believe that Joseph had passed away, and so Jesus, as the oldest, oldest son, had stepped into that place of taking care of the family. And it could have just been that Mary's going, hey, you're the oldest son, it's your responsibility to help me out with this. Not expecting a miracle, but saying, I just need you to step up. Not that Jesus never stepped up, right? But I need you to do something and help me out in this moment. It could have been as simple as that, but Jesus' response uh, kind of says otherwise. Woman, why do you involve me? Why do you involve me? Why are you trying to push me into the limelight? He says, my hour has not yet come. I love Mary's response. Jesus says something to her, and she completely ignores him. It just says, servants, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. And so they do, and he does, and we know the rest of the story. I want to take a look at two points this morning. I have two points I want to make, and then we will head out and enjoy an afternoon with our moms. Number one is this, Jesus honored his mom. Jesus honored his mother. He was, he was God. He was above everyone. Yet he honored his mom. See, Mary was not simply a placeholder or a pawn in the story, in this narrative of his life. From the moment that the angel shows up and says to Mary, you are highly favored. And her response is, who, who me? You are highly favored. Mary, there's something special about you. And God has chosen you. And she ends up playing a very key role throughout his life, all the way from his birth, all the way to his death, that Mary is present. She's there supporting her son. She's around. Her name shows up over and over again. But in all of these encounters, Jesus honors 
his mother. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 reminds us of the Ten Commandments. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus this. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. You know, Jesus says that he did not come to abolish the law. He came to complete it, to fulfill it. And so the way that Jesus lived his life was in line with the commandments of God. He didn't contradict himself or the Father in the way that he lived. And because he lived his life in public and because people were watching him, even at this early stage of his ministry as his disciples start walking with him and watching his life, it was so key that Jesus modeled for them what the fulfillment of the law looked like. You know, it's so easy for us to justify our behavior. But we read this, honor your mother and your father. The first commandment with a promise because it says your, your days will go be long and it will go well with you. Well, Barry, you've not met my mom. You've not met my dad. You know that there's no caveat here. There's no, there's no loophole. And that's important. It's important. That does not diminish or, or, or downgrade the fact that hurt exists in this world. There are moms and dads who do not do a good job, who drop the ball, and they're accountable to the Lord for that. But as children... There is something where we, when we honor our mother and our father, that we honor God in the midst of that. And that is such an important thing for us to get in our hearts. Because God's word doesn't change. And so even here, Jesus in this encounter where he says, Woman, why do you involve me? It's not yet my time. And Mary keeps pressing the issue. And Jesus doesn't like, Mom, I'm God. <laughs> right? He honors his mother. He doesn't speak harshly to her. He doesn't correct her. He just simply says, it does the thing that she asks him to do. Everyone around him would have seen that. In fact, there's one encounter where Jesus it says that Mary and his brothers came to see him and the disciples said, Jesus, your, your mother and your brothers are here and they want to see you. And Jesus says, who are my mothers, my mother and my brothers? You're, you're my, my brothers. You're my family. Again, not, a, not in a sign of disrespect. And again, our, our, our cultural overlay, we look at that and go, wow, he just dissed them, right? He just, he just kind of blew them off, said, you're not as important. But what Jesus had been modeling all along is how close and how important and how valuable those family relationships are and how important it is to, to honor your mother. And so he had been building that as they watched his life along the way. And so at this crucial moment, when they say, there's your family, and Jesus says, yeah, they're my family, but you're also my family, it's so important. Why? Because we need to understand that we're adopted into the family of God. That He is our Father. And so Jesus makes a connect. He makes a connect, not to blow them off, but to bring the disciples up and say, you're as important to me as they are. And you've seen how important my mom is in my life. 
and how important my brothers are in my life and my family. And so Jesus committed himself to honoring his mother when he was hanging on the cross, breathing his last. He, he looks at Mary and he looks at John. He says, Mother, behold your son, son. Behold your mother. And in that moment, what Jesus was saying, John, I need you to step up and care for my mom. I need you to take care of my mom. Especially because one of the hardest things, if not the hardest thing that a, a mom can walk through is the loss of a child. And so even on the cross and the pain that he's in, Jesus has compassion for his mom who is in agony watching her child die. Jesus stops and he says, take care of her. Now he knows in three days he's going to rise from the dead. But in that moment, he honors his mom. When we talk about following Jesus and being more like Jesus, I believe that honoring our, our mother and our father is at the very foundation of that. It's at the very foundation because if we can't do that Everything that comes after is going to be so much more difficult. It's a, the reason why all the be, way back in the Old Testament, that when God gives the commandments, of course, he talks about no other gods before me, no idols, no graven images, keep the Sabbath day, and, right? Make, make it holy. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. And then he says, honor your mother and your father so that it will go well with you and your days would be long, that you would be blessed. We're Thrive Church. Our goal is to help people thrive in Christ. Can I tell you this morning, if you want to come to a place where you are seeing God work in your life in a way that you would say, I'm thriving, start assessing where am I at in my relationship with my mom and dad. Whether they're a part of your life, whether they've gone to be with the Lord, whether there's hurt and pain, the level of healing that God brings in the midst of forgiveness and honor is staggering. It's beyond what we can comprehend. Jesus models that for us. Second is this. Mary believed in her son. Mary believed in her son. Now, let's just say, it's, it's every mom's job to believe in her kids, right? We, we see this. Moms call out the best from the moment they were born. My baby is the most beautiful. I'm a pastor, I get to do hospital visits. I get to go visit babies when they're born, right? And let's just be honest. Not all babies are just, just totally cute, right? I remember good friends of ours. They, they had a baby, and they were over here in Kaiser and in Baldwin Park. And, and we walked in, and, and there was this little purple hairball. And we're like, oh, and our friend Lisa just starts laughing. She's like, no, no, he's not cute. He's not right now. No, he needs a shave. It's not. <laughs> and we're like, thank you. <laughs> now he's a handsome young man and he's doing great. But, right? but every mom sees their baby and they're like, my baby is the most beautiful baby. My baby is the best baby. And it's right for moms to do that. And as those children grow, everything that even Jim was sharing as he did that informal survey this morning, all of those things are right on to encourage, to pray for, to train up in the Lord, to inspire, to nurture, to care for in the hard days and the good days, right? 
The days when they experienced their first defeat, their first loss, their first rejection, that the, mom, the mom's arms are there to, to wrap around and hold and care for. And so we see that. We understand it, that there's just, it's built into the DNA of a mom to believe in her kids, to see the best and call it out. Proverbs 1, 8 through 9 says this, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. God is serious about the parent-child relationship. He's serious about parent kids honoring their parents, but he's also serious about how parents treat their kids and how they raise them up. Mary believed in her son. Now, if you had an angel show up, and tell, that you, tell you you were pregnant, and it was God who was going to deposit this baby in your womb, and that he was the son of God, and that he would be the savior of the world, you would probably believe in your son as well, right? But I think it was deeper for Mary, that Mary didn't just absorb the information, and, and there wasn't just this knowing in Mary that Jesus was something special, she truly believed in her son. She believed, even before, before Peter makes the confession of who Jesus is, Mary believed in her son. She believed in who he was. And that she followed him not just because she was the doting mom, but she had an understanding of what he brought into this world. She was at the front of the line saying, I need what he has to give. I gave birth to him, but I need him as much as he needs me, if not more. And so she believed in her son. And I, I imagine that as Jesus traveled, and at times with his family and other times just with the disciples, that that interaction with Jesus and his mom is something that the people around would have watched and been inspired by. To watch a mom doting on the Savior of the world, encouraging him, calling out the best in him. Again, leading us here to Cana. Jesus, I need you to do something about this. I need you to take care of this situation. I need you, and I believe in you, to do something. And so Jesus performs this first of and the miracles that would come and, and understand this, there's so, many, so much symbolism, there's so many things going on behind the scenes here. The fact that the first miracle was performed at a wedding, understanding that we're called the bride of Christ. Weddings are special to God. Marriage is special to the Lord. And so the fact that this first miracle would take a place at a wedding, the fact that it was water that was turned into wine, and wine that would be the symbol of His blood that would be shed, that would bring the cleansing... And it's not just okay wine, it's the best wine. Right. Understanding that Israel had been waiting, they'd been waiting for Jesus. Well, everyone else brings the, the best out first. They'd been waiting and now Jesus comes and he brings the best, he brings life to them. And so there's so many things that are tied to this encounter. She believed in her son. 
I mentioned that yesterday we were at Life Pacific College's uh, commencement at Angeles Temple, celebrated uh, those who graduated and walked across the platform, and it was an amazing time. Edward received, received his degree, Jesse was there, and Sam, who we prayed for last week, um, along with so many others. We had baccalaureate service on Friday night, and we got to pray over these graduates. But uh, the speaker yesterday at commencement was a lady named Mary Bennett, and she received her honorary doctorate yesterday from Life Pacific College. Mary Pastors up in the mountains, in the Appalachian Mountains in Kentucky. She grew up in those mountains. That region is probably one of the poorest places in our nation. Uh, it's, it's one of the only places in our nation where children are starving to death up in those mountains. And she's been serving up there for many years. She came out to Life Bible College back in the 19, early 1970s after a career in the Air Force and, uh, and had started a career with AT&T and ended up at Bible College. And after she had graduated, she decided, I'm staying here in California. I'm not going back to Kentucky. I, I like it here. Growing up in poverty, one of 14 children, alcoholic, abusive father, but a nurturing mother, caring and godly mother who trained her up in the ways of the Lord. Mary, reluctantly at first, ended up going back to Kentucky where she has pastored a church since the 1970s till now. What's significant, though, about Mary's ministry is not the church. It's a home called Sun Sunshine Home or Sunshine Children's Home. See, Mary's mom cared for a lot of the kids that were abandoned in that region. You see, where there's a lot of poverty. Kid, kids are left to fend for themselves and just abandoned, left to their own. And so Mary was living with her mom when her mom passed away, and there were a number of children living in the, in the house. And so Mary picked up that mantle that she had received from her mom and started caring for these children. And God started blessing her ministry, started stretching her faith and said, you need to build, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pour in resources. And she said, Lord, I got, I, I've got no money. She had the, she's, she's a shorter lady with the coolest accent. And, and the best one-liners. <laughs> she said, I don't have any money. And God says, I will pour all of the resources you need through your hands as long as you don't let a penny stick to your finger. She now has a property. There's property and there's buildings. There's a home, that, a log cabin, a home that was built that can, can house over a dozen children. Uh, there's a, a, a kind of an a dorm where uh, missions teams come and they're able to stay. They have property and buildings worth over $3 million, completely debt-free that God has built over the years. And I leaned over to Megan and I said, that's Kentucky $3 million, not California $3 million, right? It goes a long, long way. That's a lot of backstory, but here, here's the thing about Mary's life. She's been mom. To over a hundred kids, well over a hundred kids. She started taking these kids in. People started realizing that they could drop their kids off at Mary's doorstep and she would take them in. Some came for a, a few days and stayed for decades. Many of them handicapped, physically or mentally handicapped. Some of them on the verge of dying. 
And she took them in and she cared for them. And for many of those, she adopted them personally. Adopted them. And then taught them and nurtured them. And kids that were discarded by society found new life. I showed a video that was just amazing. In fact, I want to get my hands on it because it was just so great. And she has on this huge fireplace this mantle and picture after picture after picture of young men and women in their caps and gowns graduating from high school. There were three that were there yesterday, a, a, a man and his wife and their children. He had been dropped off when he was five years old. Another young lady who had been dropped off and Mary became her mom. It's fitting, by the way, that her name is Mary. She made this statement. When she teaches her kids, she had a whole bunch of things that she said, this is, this is what I tell them. She said this, people don't know that they're good unless someone tells them. People don't know that they're good unless someone tells them. Mary believed in Jesus. Mary Bennett believed in all of these kids that have been, God has entrusted to her. But you know, this isn't just a mom's job. It's not just a mom's job. This, this message is not geared just towards the moms in the room. We have something to learn here. What does it look like to believe in people? And not just think it, but to start calling out and encouraging and speaking the good that we see in them. To be a blessing, to speak blessing over people's lives. Where the world may, may have told them that they're worthless, maybe You've heard these words, that you don't measure up, you don't fit, you don't have the right whatever, fill in the blank. And that the example we get from Mary, the mother of God, is this, speak life, call out the best, recognize what God's doing in people's lives, and be involved in that process of believing in people. You want to change the world? Start with the person in front of you. Start with the person to your right and to the left. And start each day going, Lord, how can I believe in someone today? How can I speak life into someone today? And then do something about it. It's so amazing to look at the life of someone like Mary Bennett, who is, was honored yesterday and rightfully so. For the work that she's done. Made a difference in her part of the world. And I just kept thinking God is calling all of us to do the same. And it goes all the way back to a wedding in Cana where Jesus said, I mean Mary says to Jesus, they're out of wine. I need you to do something. How is God calling you out and how is he calling you to believe in others? Amen. When we stand together this morning. Jesus, I thank you. We thank you that you showed us how to honor our moms. Your mom was a big deal, played a huge role in your life, Lord. 
And she was worthy of that honor in, his, in the same way that our moms here today, the moms, the grandmas, the foster moms, the adoptive moms, the spiritual moms, are worthy of that honor. God, I pray that you would teach us to honor our mothers and our fathers. God, that you would cause bitterness to be uprooted and forgiveness to take its place. I pray for healing over broken lives in Jesus' name. I pray restoration between parents and children. God, I thank you that Mary shows us an example of what it means to believe in Jesus. And I pray that we would do the same that we would put our faith and our trust, Jesus, completely in you. And as we do, that we would speak life. That we would call out the good that we see in others. That your life and your light would flow through us in such a way, Father God, that those who feel marginalized and those who feel broken and those who are lost would find new life in you. Use our hands, use our feet. Lord, to, to go to places, to go to people. Lord, that we might miss otherwise. Open our eyes to see. And Lord, let it just start right here in this room. God, I pray that we would call out the best in each other. That we would speak life to each other. God, that the words of our mouths, Lord, would be a blessing. Like an, like an oil, Lord, that brings healing. As we, as we walk with you, we give you praise, Lord. We again thank you for our moms. We pray for an amazing afternoon, a time of refreshing and rest today. We give you praise in your name. Amen. Amen.